Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. doing today, Joe Shimino, age 24, from New Jersey? Uh, fine. How are you? I am swell, thank you. My vitals are good. That's good? Um, your vitals? Why are you saying it like that? (laughs) Well, you know, Joe, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, partway vaccinated at this point. I'm just... Just really thinking Ooh. about how great Bill Gates is. I really want to oh. zoom. Wait, what? <laughs> I just like you know. I re- I really think I really think the whole Apple thing. It was a fad. I think I'm going yeah. back to Windows. Going I, back. I, I to don't Windows. know why. I just I just I just got vaccinated and I just mm. had this feeling. You know. Yeah. Have you been dreaming about the Windows background of the Green Hill at all? Oh my God, that's where I've been in my dream. <gasps> Oh no! And was there an Xbox Series One X there? <laughs> Did you play Halo Six? Was it good? Do you know, you know anything about Halo? You 6? know what? I've never even had an opinion on uh, the the console wars, and you know what? Now I do. I've never even played video games. I always forget that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I am. In all honesty, I do feel like I have been through a my own sort of uh, human biological experimentation in the last uh, 24 hours. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I got the vaccine last week, but let's just leave that on the table because that is going to factor into my body chemistry somehow, of right? Of course, yeah. So yesterday, we, uh, we surprise uh, Angela for her birthday. Um, you know, there's just a group of us and we're like, we show up in a parking lot and we're like, surprise, we're all going to the zoo together. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super fun seeing all the animals. Uh, and then we're like, okay, it's cause it's, uh, it's still Greek Lent. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Angela is still vegan. So we go to a vegan restaurant, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of really nice looking, uh, uh, menu and everything. I'm super excited and I see they have vegan chicken and waffles. Okay. And I'm like, yes, but just to be me, because I, two other people were also getting chicken and waffles. I ordered them Nashville hot. Uh-huh. What is that? Yes. What does that entail? um you know like very spicy fried oh, chicken oh sweet all right yes and you know normally i love spicy food and also mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. freezing and we're sitting outside oh. so i'm like i want i don't want to feel cold anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> then we are also because we're waiting for our food there's only one hot drink on the menu and everyone else is getting you know a little schwasty okay you know, little little daytime drunk sure so I order the only hot drink uh, that they have on the menu, and that is an Irish coffee. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Now keep in mind, I've never drank coffee in my life. Wait, ever? No, never. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So huh. I I am drinking uh coffee, which I've and getting caffeine in ways that I've never had before. Um, and it starts to hit me right as I'm also dealing with how spicy uh, my chicken no, and waffles are. Not a are. good combo. Not a good combo. But then also I'm getting another hit uh, from another front uh, from the whiskey. Yeah. So I am feeling I I I felt s- things that I had not felt ever before. I was <laughs> jittery, but I wasn't sure if it was because I was cold or it was all the caffeine or it was so spicy. I was just uh, in a different level of experience than I am used to. Oh my to. god, just Yeah, I like it felt like the the moment where you start to feel high. Yeah. Like, where you feel like that warm in the back of your brain start to spread. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I found a new way to get high. But also, let me say this, coffee is disgusting. Well, when you drink it like that, it is. I mean... It was so... I the co- I could not get past how bad the coffee uh, flavor is. Like, because I was drinking it. I, at first, I was like, this is fine because there was whipped cream on top of it. But as soon no. as I got through the whipped cream, I was like, this tastes like ass. How do people drink this? Because we hate ourselves, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's amazing. We were in Italy for a year. We're the espresso <laughs> capital of the world. That's where coffee actually tastes good when it's bitter. <laughs> and you drink Irish. Oh God, yeah, no. I, I, I have a weird relationship with coffee in general when it comes to like mm-hmm. that. But sometimes, you know, you just want. I feel like I feel like my progression has been like I went from lots of cream and it had to be sweet to then hating mm-hmm. the sweetness to then less cream to then almost black. It's where I found my American coffee. But mm. I mostly drink espresso if I can. And like, I mean, small. I don't necessarily mind bitterness. I will. Yeah, I will. I love arugula. Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I honestly have gotten really into dark beers recently. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Dark beers are pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Like, I like a nice stout. Oh, okay. Um, stout man. But yeah, no, I, uh, maybe, maybe I'll have to try coffee at another time in my life, but man, maybe, the, yeah. the jitters of that first like wave and combined much. with like, just, you know, my mouth also being on fire. Yeah, not not a good combo. Coffee and spices don't go along. I've learned this because I'll put. Um, I've done this thing recently because I'm losing my mind. Where I put, uh, <laughs> I I don't want to buy avocados because they're I'm lazy and they're expensive, and so I buy. Uh, <laughs> so I'll I I get like guacamole, you know, from like Whole Foods or whatever. And instead of avocado toast, I've taken a step further and I'm like, let me spread guacamole on my toast and then drink my morning coffee and see where this goes. And um, it's oh. weird. <laughs> hey, man, it's I pretty. Mean... It's good. You get a spicy kick. It's nice. Hmm. And then your mouth hurts because you drink coffee and they don't go together. <laughs> so if you want to wake up, that's really the combo. And apparently, you know, here's my logic. This is how I think about breakfast food. <laughs> You're, I, I read a thing once in some article because and who knows if it's true. So fair warning. But it was like, oh, avocado is supposed to help with anxiety. And I was like, oh. That's fun. <laughs> That'll be really good finishing up graduate school. I'll put avocado on my toast, but I don't have avocado, so guacamole is the same thing, right? 
You know, that doesn't even make sense because I get like a thrill of there's like this anxious thrill you get when you first cut into an avocado. I know. Yeah. Where you're like, is this one going to be good? I know. It's like it's like Christmas. Do you remember when we got when when I made you the guacamole for the uh, for the for your birthday in, in Italy when we had the party and then we opened up half of them that the guy sold us and he said they were going to be the best avocados and they were basically all pit. Yeah. That was just that was a baseball sized avocado pit. I'm not even kid- or actually no, to be accurate, it was like a lacrosse ball. If you know, you know. It, like dead serious of how big those are. Jesus, man. Ripped off. I was so pissed. This is so expensive. <laughs> Two euros, but they were good. I you know, I don't want to sit on this too long, but what does vegan chicken and waffles taste like? Um, it wasn't tofu. It was I forget uh, what the other. It, it starts with an S. Satan. Like another. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Satan's pretty good. Okay, fair enough. I was yeah, like, yeah. So basically, it was like fried Satan oh, nice. with you know, um, like kind of like a maple mm. glaze. Oh, that sounds good. Like, okay. Yeah. No, it like actually, it was very good. It All it right. legitimately tasted delicious, and on a hot day, that would have been like the awesome, best thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not with an Irish coffee and freezing cold yeah yeah Yeah. i didn't do the math in my head there quite right and that's fine we're trying to just feel anything at this point yeah (laughs) well speaking of trying to feel something (laughs) in this in this shell of a world yeah Uh, what do we got going on uh, at the Uncanny County Museum today, Joe? Well, we have an exciting new exhibit here that's installed, and we'll be exploring artworks presented in works of fiction, specifically on television and in uh, entertainment Ooh. and movies. And this was done out of the curiosity and really at this question at the center of do people who present artists and artworks or even music in movies and TV know about art or movies or, or music like at all? And, you know, I've been kind of wondering that having, you know, become a little bit more aware of what's happening in contemporary art through the history of it. We just finished up our whole tours here on art in the 20th century to give some context. And then, you know, in popular culture, there's a way that art is presented through media that I feel like waters down a lot of things and presents a lot mm. of tropes. And I've it's been something that's been racking in the back of my brain on how does that affect how people see art? And also how does that leave us with impressions of the characters it's presenting? Yes. There's very much a feeling of what are, what are the, you know, the stereotypes that are being reinforced, but also like why, um, why do we want to feel this way about fictional artists? Yeah. You know, I asked this question after we finished uh, our screening of Velvet Buzzsaw, the uh, contemporary art-themed horror film with a star-studded cast, and it is inexplicably incomprehensible. um, (laughs) That's one way to put it, For the amount of talent that is attached to it. Um, But the thing, too, that that goes through your mind as an artist after you watch a movie like that is... Like with any horror movie, you know, you're addressing some sort of societal fear or insecurity. Right. 
And at the end of the day, there's like something that like you get, I I don't want to say like pleasure out of, but like there is like some kind of comeuppance that you, you get, you get some catharsis out of watching someone get, you know, punished, you know, Mm. and a lot of been, a lot of this has been made in the way that, you know, like let's, let's think about this in terms of almost the male gaze, like, Mm when you look at the way that women are portrayed in films that have, you know, a very, uh, that have certain male directors at their helms, you're, you become kind of aware of how that director feels about women, at least subconsciously, you know, if it's, you know, the manic pixie dream girl and that, women exist to fix men's problems or Mm. if it's more of a horror trope and that you know women sort of get punished for being promiscuous and this isn't always true and i know there's there's more there's more nuance to it than that those genres are certainly much deeper than just you know those sort of takes but we are all familiar with those tropes of uh at least for for women maybe that uh these things seem to happen to certain characters um mm-hmm. and that you would have to imagine that uh th- there's some level that w- we we get entertainment out of watching those characters go through that yeah so why so why why are there these very specific tropes then for artists I guess is kind of mm. my question is like is this what we think of in terms of what we, what we think artists are doing and the other weird thing is like you pres- on a film set or a TV set presumably you have people that went to art school Yes that's my question that's the thing it's like at least one person but right? I think you have to you have to think about the segregation of film students and art student and visual arts students. It is surprisingly I think my bias comes in in my undergrad I had a lot of blend between art students mm-hmm. and and video student or like film students and in particular because of one class that I took that blended us together with video right. art and performance and it was like you know, you had people coming in with technical skill who were learning to get loose and to learn about art. And then you had art students who were learning how to become more technical and structured with their work. Yeah. Which was an and amazing I, crossover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And I mean, I have to credit MSU in that regard, because where when I did undergrad, no matter what type of art you were doing mm-hmm. and what type of visual art, if you were getting your BFA, uh-huh. you had to take photo 101. Oh, you that's convenient. To, you had to take black and white film photography. Oh, that's good. So, I like that they're doing that. Yeah, and, you know, MSU has a very nice uh, dark room. And, you know, there was, you know, it's like when I think back, like most of my best friends from, uh, from undergrad mm-hmm. were film and photo majors. Oh, wow especially freshman year i wasn't really friends with anyone in the visual arts department yet Hmm. yeah i mean it's a nice it's a good crossover it's a healthy one too because it's so related it's just it's industry versus something else i think i think they they look at us like you know it's when i dropped my brother off 
at SCAD. I, you know, I graduated college and at that point, that same summer, he was graduating high school. Mm. So when I moved down to Florida, I, you know, was immediately like driving back up north to help him move into SCAD, into his dorms. And, you know, SCAD is definitely preparing kids for industry. Yeah, for sure. You know, those, those are kids that, you know, are going to go into the film industry, professional photography, you know. If they're doing visual art, it's going to be kind of more uh, in an illustration capacity. Yeah. Not not to say that there aren't fine artists there, but typically whenever you have a college that, you know, lists itself as art and design, you know, yeah. Ringling College of Art and Design, it's, SCAD, exactly. Savannah College of Art and Design, they're typically trying to say, hey, these are the art, this is the art that gets you a job. So, yeah, exactly. You know, which is flawed for multiple reasons um (laughs) on on both ends but the the idea is they they keep you somewhat in a you know not only like utilitarian uh application but you know they they try to like frame it as this is the practical art and there's a bunch of weirdos on another campus that are like you know doing yoko ono stuff that right. we don't really care about like even my, my current boss uh who's you know really fun great guy to talk to but he studied architecture mm. and architecture at least at msu from my understanding had a lot of crossover i mean even like my girlfriend while i was there originally started in architecture but there was so much flow in between those two departments the buildings were right next to each other and mm. were connected uh, so there was at least some communication there, but it's like going elsewhere, going to bigger schools and you realize how much people are separated by departments. Right. You realize that, that, that people don't really know what's going on yeah, uh, with yeah. people that are also in other creative fields. So maybe we'll have to write that off as, you uh-huh. know the people on the sets of these shows are either working professionals that didn't you know, honestly, didn't have to go to school. If you have the experience or if you know the right people, you get onto a film set. Like, yeah, yeah. Films, film school isn't even necessarily the best way to get into film. No, not um, really at all. I mean, from what <laughs> unless heard. maybe you want to like shoot commercials, but maybe that's your goal. We, we at least, I think, kind of can take that out of the equation uh-huh. uh, in terms of we, we can't expect them to have, not to say that they are not artists. Yeah. But to say that they have a different exposure to art and mm. thought than maybe the visual artists do because of that separation in uh in 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 basically the the educational process. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad you bring it up as well to lay out that context right away because I think it helps in thinning out this um you know, our gaze at this and understanding it. Because I think otherwise it's like, who, how could this happen? And then it's staring us right in the face as a possibility. But I think what's, it's it's kind of weird because it's frustrating and it's also interesting to me mm-hmm. because I mean I, I guess we could also just kind of jump into this so it's not we're not talking hypothetically um, but you know we have a couple of works here in our white cubed gallery um, within the UCM and I wanted to start with one that maybe we all recognize from the uh, hit Nickelodeon TV show iCarly 
um, which mm. as we oh, so we're yeah, we're about well, to cover these. We're about to cover these nice clean walls with some slime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cue the slime bucket. Uh, no, I, oh, oh god, I forgot we installed that. Oh, you just got slime, audience. Do, why did we think that was a good idea? Why did anybody think that was a good idea? <laughs> they were so into slime. Yeah, why? I'll never understand. I always liked Cartoon Network more. <laughs> and just, like, I want to just forward, like, we're going to talk about Spencer from iCarly a little bit because it's been in the top of my mind having started to rewatch this series for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like, I've been watching it with my sister, like, when I have time off because, like, we're just like, oh, why not? Nostalgia. And, like, I, I it's kind of like watching a car crash. Like, you can't turn away. But I've realized so mm. many problems with this show and it haunts me. And let, let's just get out of the way how horrible <laughs> Dan Schneider is as a person um, and what he did to like Jeanette McCurdy and other people on the set. Mm -hmm, So I want to make that very clear. So it doesn't come off as, as tone deaf. He was Um, the, he was the one with the foot fetish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why couldn't that have been the, 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 (laughs) I mean, for a while before I think the abuse came forward, it was kind of like, uh, huh? Isn't it weird that this, uh, children's, uh, network, uh, guy has a well-documented foot fetish yeah yeah you would think and then he made on how many shows did he make after it's kind of ridiculous but uh yeah not great yeah i mean you know that whole era of nickelodeon is fascinating because it's you you had you had such a you had such a weird group of creators Uh you know entering that space because i think that's kind of before you know the the whole yeah even though i think there's a lot of interesting uh kids cartoons and kids media out right now i uh-huh. think they they are not as visually uh as different and varied as they kind of used to be i think you kind of got yeah. a little bit more of a a strange mix of <laughs> yeah. cartoons oh, at yeah. that time you know, as 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 strange and interesting as they've kind of become, just maybe mm-hmm. more in different ways now. But I think visually yeah. back then. But the thing that I found interesting is like, um, what the the creator of the Fairly Odd Parents, Butch Hartman. Um, yeah, Butch Hartman. You know, he makes multiple successful shows that I think were, uh, you know, at least in the old days. I think now it's pretty reviled. But you know, the old Fairly Odd Parents. Danny Phantom uh-huh. uh, held up pretty well, from what I understand. I never saw the other show about the oh, dog. Oh, it's bad. It's so yeah. bad. But, <laughs> um, but you know, Butch Hartman turns out later is like, oh, he's like a very conservative Christian. Yeah, he's kind of the worst. Um, yeah, who weirdly up. made these shows that I think a lot of queer kids identified with. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, Danny Phantom having to. Uh, you know, keep a secret from his parents, uh, as does Timmy Turner, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, they, or, you know, like not being sure if the world will accept you, uh, yep. <laughs> which I don't really know if I understand what the stigma was against ghost people, you know, <laughs> I, guess... I for one think ghost people have the right to get married. I don't know about you, Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ghost marriage. Yes. You know, I I guess it is confusing till death do us part. Right. Is a little bit of a weird loophole. Yeah. But then you also had 
like SpongeBob, it, you yeah. know, which, you know, is ongoing to this day, but was so huge out of this era mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. And we'll get back to iCarly in a moment, but I just wanted to tell this quick uh, aside. Um, I was once uh, interviewing uh, to do some volunteer work for the Children's Museum in Bozeman. Oh, okay. Um, you know, just kind of like talking about projects and stuff uh, I could potentially help them with. Um, and uh, I got, I was talking to the director, I believe, was who I was talking to. And she's, you know, was fascinated by me, you know, doing the art and the science thing um, together, you know, being being interested in uh, dinosaurs, but also, you know, pursuing visual arts. And she's like, yeah, you know, in college, I dated this marine biologist that, you know, went on to make a kid's show. I think it was SpongeBob. And I was like, what? Steve Hillenberg. And she's like, yeah. Uh, like, oh my god you dated the creator of spongebob and that's how you brought that up what it's <laughs> just some marine biology student that's <laughs> what uh, that's yeah. kind of amazing oh my oh god, my god. <laughs> jesus okay yeah but that... yeah so it it was a different era for sure in children's yes. programming as far as like you could we look back on it now and like the weird awkwardness of them trying to have kid sitcoms for kids, you know? Yeah. Because I, that because you saw that with Drake and Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Ned's declassified. I mean, these are all Schneider's yeah. bakery, so like it kind of makes sense. But Ned's but... declassified was not set up exactly like a sitcom. Be, uh, yeah, I don't think it was the same way that iCarly right? was. iCarly had like a set and the <laughs> audience sounds. Yeah, you know? and it wasn't even a real audience. <laughs> oh, you're telling me they didn't get a real audience for <laughs> well, okay. iCarly? Here's the pro- here's the deal. So, well, like you know, because like sometimes they're filmed in front of the live studio audience. But like, what was always weird to me, and it's again something I'm picking up more now, is that like they have the remote to cue the studio audience when they're like, welcome to yeah. iCarly, and they press the remote and cue audience sounds here, it plays. And yeah. then, when they're not on camera, in iCarly's camera, they also have yeah. audience sounds. And you're like, wait a minute, this creates the strangest kind of like feeling, because you can't tell what's what, because they're exactly the same, pretty much, besides like yeah. the obvious filter over top of it. So it's like, it's a weird thing because you're like, if they didn't put audience sounds over top of when other issues were happening, it would have yeah. actually been kind of weird to see like, um, to just hear those sounds when like Sam hits the remote. And I think there's mm-hmm. actually videos that people took out the laugh tracks from the show because it's just so awkward yeah and they have to put it in because of the silence well, i've 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 seen like those edits of big bang theory <laughs> oh where it's, like yeah. big bang theory but there's only one guy laughing <laughs> 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 those are amazing but you know i as a kid i was very curious as to what exactly laugh tracks were because same they were in old cartoons. Like if you watch the Flintstones, the Flintstones had a laugh track, and so oh. did um, certain iterations of uh, old Scooby Doo. Oh yeah! And Weird. I was like, I was like, in my brain, I was like, well, they couldn't be doing this as they're making the cartoon. <laughs> oh no! So I was like, did they just get a bunch of people into an into a screening room and record them reacting to Scooby Doo? <laughs> But it is it is a bit of the 
as far as iCarly goes, iCarly is awkward for many reasons to watch now, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it has, it has sort of the interesting challenge that I think Seinfeld has, Mm. where, um, and, and, and other shows and movies, like any, any, there's something awkward about watching a thing about a comedic entertainer where the the whole thing in its entirety is a comedy and you are right. laughing along with it as you go and then at some point you have to watch them perform right yeah um and like the jokes are weirdly less funny when they're on when they are performing mm-hmm. and i'm not sure if that's a writing trick so that people are watching the performance as a performance and not laughing around with it you know you like yeah you want the odd the audience at home to actually hear what's going on right or that's just some there's something about the spell of the comedy being broken because you are watching uh a performance of a performance right yeah that is a bit odd yeah but yeah that's that's kind of the i think the thing that's always i guess confused me with it yeah. but like with speci- with like carly what's been so fascinating to me is this like you know the specifically the character of spencer in there you know mm-hmm. someone who is an artist and makes their living yeah. i mean th- w- let's just not even we're not even get into how they make money and how he can, they can all, or like him and Carly can afford to live where they live in as big of an apartment. Doesn't is isn't he? Didn't he go to law school? Well, yeah. See, I thought he went to law school for like a while. He went to law school for three days. So, <laughs> and he his whole thing was like he went to law school. He hated it and never wanted to be a lawyer. And then dropped out to pursue his arts career and likes what he does. And you're like, well, that's very act. That's actually kind of a nice message. Because it's like, you know, you don't have to conform to the thing that people tell you to. You know, you can be your own person and do what you love. And his work in the show is weird for a lot of hmm. reasons, but I kind of admire it for that. And this all, this all, like, my curiosity in a lot of this kind of starts from a, a few places that I'll bring up. But really specifically with this, because my sister asked me, you know, what do you think of his work? Because there's this episode mm. where he has, there's an art critic that like comes to town and like critiques Spencer's work in the apartment. And it's like the weirdest yeah. critique I've ever heard someone give where they're mm. like, eh, it's just, it's okay. And you're like, wait, what? Like, and it's, it's, um, you know, I think kind of relatable if you've ever been to like any mediocre class where somebody's just not really helping you. Yeah. I think to us, having been in critiques, that's when, even if that is something that someone is thinking and wants to tell you, they're going to be blunt with you. Yeah. That's not even how they would tell no, you. No, no, not but at all. But I don't know if... I wonder... I, I'm just thinking aloud here. If... If uh, you are not jaded to the lingo of an art critique... Mm-hmm. I feel like if someone told you what their critique of their of your work was, it would either a be incomprehensible or it might even sound like a compliment. Mm, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, huh? That's one thing to keep in mind as well with that. Well, like this is, yeah, because I think that was the part I didn't quite understand. Because it was like I don't even think the the character 
knows what mm. they're trying to say. Like they throw a lot of stuff around and sometimes it's for jokes and you're like, ah, ha, ha, art's complicated. But, and then it's yeah. also like, it's supposed to be fun. But what always kind of is surprising to me or I question, and this is again where like my sister asked me and said mm-hmm. like, well, what do you think of his work? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, honestly, it's awful. And, <laughs> and, and there's, and no, maybe I'm being blunt, but the reason being is kind of like, it, it falls a little bit into what we talked about with like kitsch, but there's, mm. I've been sitting on it and analyzing it. We have a piece here, and it's the yo-yo one from that episode specifically, where it's a bunch of yo-yos, and it's got its composition in that way and whatnot. And as we mm-hmm. see here, there are lots of yo-yos hanging off of this um, you know, abstracted form. And uh, this is the one that that critic comes in and critiques, by the way. So I've been sitting yeah. here and thinking about his work in particular, and there's things to kind of keep in mind that I think is very interesting within the way they formed Spencer's character as an artist. So yeah. he pulls a, he's a sculptor primarily and pulls a lot yeah. of his material from the junkyard. And most okay. of the things he makes are ready-made re- found objects. Well, yeah, ready-made found object, but also new materialist. Because mm. a lot of these things are 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 from other objects going into what he's building. Yes. Now, that's what I want to say because it's like, well, he falls into this category of new materialism that I don't even think they know was going to happen because there's this passage that I've been thinking about from Jane Bennett, who's an, an author um, and specifically of this book, The Call of Things, where she talks and way, about... And way too prestigious to be talked wait, about in the context no, of iCarly. No, I know, but it's, <laughs> it, we're talking more in the context of new materialism. But yes, like, okay. yeah, I, I was like, how can I blend these two complicated things together? One, yes, you know, yes. a prestigious author, and two, iCarly. Um, <laughs> but... What I what I find interesting is you know she she brings up in in, in one of her her interviews about this 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 notion of the call of the object call of the of the thing that uh, draws people in and and really was associating it with hoarders and how there's this kind of draw to keep things around us and the yeah, you know, with, yeah with what's th- inside thing power thingness yeah and get you know and I always connected that to this kind of the spiritual sense of things having energy within them and 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 how that can draw you in and and I find that fascinating in this context where you have a character who is interested in picking up refuse and objects that are discarded in order to breathe new life into them and make them something else so where if if there is literature to support this what doesn't work for you with it um with the work yes well Spencer's this is exactly where i yeah this is where yeah. this falls apart for me the haphazard approach to realism and wanting mm. to be illustrative. So this mm. is where it loses me because there's this really interesting way of representing something because he's he's got a childish attitude. It's his character and it makes him who he is and that's fine. And yeah. it comes out in the work. And I actually think as a show, they do a really good job in doing that where you're like, this is somebody who has their personality that's embedded with their artwork and it actually captures it well. It doesn't feel fake. Because I feel like, like yeah. in, in Velvet Buzzsaw specifically and other shows, it feels fake. You know, like when you're like, oh, this is supposed to be an artist, but it doesn't feel like their work. So I feel like that's mm. a very hard thing to do because art is an extension of a person. So when writing a character, that makes it even more complicated. But yeah, where it loses me is when it feels like different writers are writing about the art. 
And so you have someone who might be writing how he's then making his like pencil sculpture. And it's this weird thing with pencils. That's kind of interesting. But then he has one that's the Labradoodle and it's like a commission and it's got real dog hair and it's like a robot dog thing. And you're like, this doesn't, (laughs) this feels weird. Like it's so all over the place that it begins to lose that kind of charm and fall into illustrative sculpture that feels very much weird and Mm. like, or not even weird, just like disingenuous. And like plain for what it is. Where, yeah. And then people yeah. talk very highly of it. And he's like, you know, they'd be like, oh my God, it just speaks volumes. And you're like, to what? It's a dog <laughs> or like it's a robot. It doesn't but, really. But we, people have that idea of the person in the, maybe they're wearing a jacket and uh, in a bow tie mm-hmm. that come in. And, you know, they lean forward with their glasses and yeah. look at art that you that appears to be incomprehensible to you, the viewer, right. and extrapolates wildly on it. Like, people have that idea because I think we're used to that interpretation of art where people say, this artist was dealing with this right. through this medium that does not explicitly say that. Because it would be one thing if they made Spencer, you know, like, a painter. Yeah and was painting these things like photorealistically mm-hmm. i think you know i uh there might be some comedy to be had there you know that there's even like that it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> oh episode yeah where frank pretends to be an art critic and you know he's he's doing the bit he's doing the part right that we all expect where he's going around saying you know, just pointing at a piece of work without looking at it and saying, bullshit, bullshit, derivative. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, you know, the big joke, like he looks at the, um, it was a, like, like a air humidifier, yeah. air humidifier, air conditioner. And he's like, oh, that I love. I've got to have it, you know, because yeah. that's that's the thing. That's like people trying to make sense of the banana taped to the wall, the pile mm. of candy in the corner, you know? Right. That is, uh, you know, you can tell people, oh, this this artist, you know, uh, did this for a reason, but their mind is going to go to, you know, those, like, basically, like, clickbait articles about, like, a guy who leaves trash in an art exhibition and people start photographing it like oh my god i always hated those we're, <laughs> we so are weird. conditioned to know that type of thing people exactly. so spencer's work doesn't i think to kind of answer your thing spencer's work doesn't need to be good because people trust mm-hmm. or not trust trust isn't the word but we expect that people are seeing something in art even if it is not necessarily there and because it would be it would not be apparent to maybe the typical audience member of iCarly uh they can kind of say whatever they want it's it (laughs) it might as well it might as well be a movie where someone's reading Uh you know ancient egyptian hieroglyphs (laughs) yeah like, does it matter that the hieroglyphs are correct? Does yes. it matter that this ancient uh, writing, for some reason, perfectly translates into English and it rhymes? Yes. Like, it does. <laughs> duh. I'm being oh very. Oh, God, Joe. <laughs> well, Jesus I can. Christ. Do you want my actual um, answer or do you want me to. I'll go along you, with you it. Know, but... You know what I'm saying. I know. I you got know you. what I'm saying. Like, the. <laughs> that it might as well be. Yeah. 
an archaeologist telling you made up things about something uh-huh. for for the point of the plot. And also, like, think about this. I think we live in an era where technology, in, in at least some way, has democratized um, technique to a certain extent. Interesting, so, yeah. We are used to an art world, even if you know a little bit about art. Uh-huh. We are used to an art world where there does not seem to be a big difference in quality of work. Mm. People seem to be much more attracted to the idea uh, of the artist themselves. And that is how we infer the context of their work, because it's not as easy as, you know, maybe if you were in the Paris salon in the, you know, uh, you know, 19th century and right. someone was like, look at how uh, perfectly rendered this figure is. Right, right. Versus now where quality is not necessarily the, the objective quality of work is no longer the uh, an, an obvious factor because everything seems to be kind of living on a on a level playing field. It's all of this other idea and theory that you're supposed Mm. to know and supposed to read into work now. And I think that's what, that's what you are thinking subconsciously in your head that, Oh, well, I don't know enough about art to even be able to tell. Right. Right. Like that is the thing at the end. You're like, I would not be able to tell you what's good. So this TV show is going to play off of tropes that I know. Mm hmm. Uh, to tell me if it's good or not. Right. And I think that, and yeah, and it, it makes sense, right? And I think even for the yeah. purpose of the show and what it's trying to do, and in any and in any case, and especially, you know, I think with, with what you're saying, I think for me, you know, my concern with that then is how does that shape how you take and look at artwork after? Um, and that that's yeah. a whole other thing, I think, even for me with like how media will shape how we look at things in entertainment and movies and as someone who watches a lot of movies um, yeah. and, and now is starting to relook <laughs> at things and see that. And but, you know, what's but what's interesting here with the Ike Harley one with Spencer in particular, again, is that like it's one of those times where it's in this weird defense of the artist. Where mm. like like let's look at like like one of the paintings over here of the from the character Lily from How I Met Your Mother and I don't know if you've seen this show or not but I have it, not it's it's yeah that's good um it's <laughs> I was obsessed with that show and I don't know why and I look back and I really question that um it's not great but it's that sitcom era of like lonely man want wife but let's move it out for nine seasons and drag along an audience and ruin it. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so, you know, the whole show, her character is developed as someone who went to art school. She studied art and she was a kindergarten teacher. That's what she becomes. But she always really wanted to be a painter, even though she really likes working with kids and is like, yeah, I love my job. I like this. But, you know, I really wanted to be the painter. And like, you know, moving through spoiler alert, I guess. But she, you know, she becomes like she goes to art school. She like goes abroad, I think, or something. No, she goes to San Francisco Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she studies painting and her teacher like 
like rips her apart for being like derivative and bad and this <laughs> yeah. and it's like stereotypical like art teacher yeah. guy and so her whole character arc is like ruining this sense of artistic practice for her and what she does and eventually yeah is just like left to being like i like teaching or i do this and this is what i enjoy something something along those lines but what i found fascinating was this like people like backed her up but not like enough mm-hmm. to be like no you're great and you should be an artist and this and it's like a very yeah. opposite approach and like she ends up becoming like an art curator or critic for someone like she has like an eye for that and i remember her paintings hmm. become like good for vets she sells painting to paintings to vets because like um like i don't know the dogs, dogs like yeah military oh sorry like dogs <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good clarification hi there my name is colby white and i'm one of the hosts from force football facts a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account, while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Because I remember there's a specific episode where she's like, I'll sell paintings to help with rent. And everyone's like, oh, God, here we go. And I'm like, well, that's just not supportive. Like, well, hold on. Yeah. Because it was weird. Yeah. There's there's the whole, like, because I I think it's interesting shows that know enough about art, like Broad City. Yeah. You know, because basically, you know, Broad City is in part autobiographical. And Abby's character went to art school and you know i think clarifies that she has i think a ba in illustration oh yeah and i think that's an important thing because like the office does this too where right you actually see that distinction of bas versus bfas Uh uh-huh and you see illustrators the the struggle that is that is specific to illustrators uh as artists um in those shows like abby you know thinks of herself as an artist and she is right um but she is you know trying to you know she she's more in search of a gimmick right yeah um which is is kind of what she what she's looking for Uh like in in her work and pam in the office you know she does like just kind of basic watercolor illustrations of things and it's even remarked in the in the episode where she has that art opening mm, or the, she's episode, in that yeah. art show you know oscar even oscar kind of makes a a valid not valid because it's kind of mean. it's kind of mean yeah I... it actually is very mean you know he says i think this is hotel art right but that actually sounds like something i would hear in a critique yeah um and that is like that is like that little moment of realism in that show that i think is more in tune to regular people trying to interact with art rather than there being this and i mean that's more of the tone of the show right but you know you don't have somebody in an ascot coming through trying to say that you know whether or not something is high concept or low concept you have someone like oscar who knows a a little bit about art and literature and history you know he's of the office he's the smart one 
Mm, you know, yeah. uh, he's and he's the cultured one. He's the, he's also crucially the pretentious one. Yeah, true. You know, because th- the other great thing about the office is Oscar was all of those things before being the gay character. Right. <laughs> you know, that 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 that's wonderful writing, I think. Yeah. Or, or that or or even being the token like Latin character. Right. Like he was. He was pretentious before he was anything else. He actually had a personality. Yes. You know, that was so much more real. And then at the end of the day, the real connection is the familiarity Mm -hmm. and the simplicity Mm -hmm. of it is what, you know, when, you know, uh, uh, Michael, you know, buys the painting. Yeah. And, you know, just basically says like, you know, that's our building and you did such a good job, Mm -hmm. you know? And that feels so much more real, even after you've heard, I think, a more realistic critique of that work. Like, if one of us was to, you know, show work like that. Right. Every now and then, you you do see examples of these shows that do that, uh-huh. and I think you're, you're seeing characters that that even just know the difference of the BFA and the BA you know yeah absolutely i mean i still think for broad city they nail it when they go to the art show like when oh it's when God, abby and, yeah. and um alana's i think it's like or whose friend is it i can't remember entirely but i think it's, it's like abby's friend from art school that's right yeah and it's like this cr- and i mean it it does so much right and it's so <laughs> it goes over the top with representing contemporary art but i i yeah. have been to shows like that like i yeah. feel like i've seen stuff that's supposed to be it's like so out there in contemporary art that a little bit it feels a bit you know pretentious but you know the thing about degree. broad city and the thing about that painting uh-huh. is they seem to acknowledge the class yeah divide of abby versus an art student like that uh-huh. who i don't know if they even go into the backstory that much but you get the you know abby you know has parents that have money but she's kind of too proud to cash in on that. Right. And even sort of exaggerates to them how her art is going. Yeah. But she is, you know, working a day job versus her friend that, you know, spent ha- who got to spend the last year on her one very minimal looking piece, which is not anything against like, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, minimalist art doesn't take time to work on, mm-hmm. but that they are trying to point out that Abby has this friend that presumably they had a similar education. Right. And her friend has the privilege of doing something mm-hmm. like that and getting into shows and, yeah. you know, has work that you could feasibly see in a show. Exactly. But, and I think, but yeah, I think it's that touch of realism that makes it feel so familiar and realistic yeah. and like and i think the thing that the comparison that that uh, i'm attempting to make here with even with the um the difference in how that's represented and now we can actually use all of these examples to kind of sum that up yeah. is what i found interesting is like in how i met your mother it's kind of looked at as like art's really hard and it's really hard to make it and sometimes that's okay to not continue with the dream and you can find yourself into mm-hmm. something else and maybe i'm actually doing their job and simplifying this and uh mm-hmm. you know in the office it's kind of that similar vibe i always kind of got but i think 
Pam does go to art school again, right? Like she continues Pam on does and keeps go to moving. Art school, but you know, then kind of, you know, goes yeah. back to being a receptionist, which yeah. is also a kind of yeah, I think plays into the realism of the office. Yeah, but I, and but I also think it's that moment again of like of recognizing the passion, but and being torn down a little, but then getting picked back up. Yeah, and I think that's well, like yeah. in, and even in like an I Carly, that's kind of the the difference I wanted to make between that and how I met your mother's representation is that the no one ever really rip who's like a main character or a side character, let's say in the sphere of the I Carly gang, never mm-hmm. rips on Spencer for his life decisions. They in fact admire him for dropping mm-hmm. out of school, mm-hmm. for pursuing the arts career versus one of being a lawyer. And I think that is actually an interesting message to send to people of like, be mm-hmm. true to yourself and and find your passions and, and go forward with them. And so that's what I always thought was interesting is it's like, and I kind of admire it and I admire that yeah. way that it's being represented because it's like, he makes weird art, but they people like it because it brings joy. And I guess at the end of the day, that's also partially what art should do. So I also found that kind of interesting that that's the message being sent. And it's not one that we see a lot of being tropey and like, you know, the failed starving artist and like, what are you going to do with that or whatever? Or, yeah. And that doesn't, I think always happen, but it's, it's definitely there. I feel like, and it's embedded in this weird way or it's being used in a way to call up for something else. So I don't know. It's it's also typically, typically it's an easy target. Yeah. I think, you know, to to um in, in case uh our visitors today haven't like seen Velvet Buzzsaw, you know, it's a very tropey yeah, horror movie. The base the basic plot is in a uh an employee at a gallery uh stumbles upon um uh the paintings of her recently deceased neighbor assumes that they will be valuable right how we don't know because painting because painting because deep because dark yes. and brooding exactly you know she takes these kind of vaguely sinister looking paintings that people talk about as being so cutting edge and dark and everything and it's like you <laughs> can think of multiple contemporary artists that go that that you know go more into it than this than uh i think his name was deets anyways Mm -hmm. but basically then artwork starts coming alive in very inconsistent ways that make no sense um and kill or uh we're not entirely sure what happens to the one girl she gets sucked into a wall of graffiti i don't know i don't know Um, man but basically the the paintings try to seek revenge on anyone that tried to sell them but i'm i'm making it sound way clearer than it is because it's they never very quite... confusing it has a they lot of messages say that like the the painter was abused and that he was also in a mental hospital and they also did experiments on him so then you're like oh wait is this going to become a sci-fi movie Ooh, no this movie no. is just confused as to what it is right. um but that is a movie that you know is you know, playing with the white cube is playing with all these tropes that we know of. Oh, there's the recovering alcoholic artist that's not as good as he used to be. Oh, there's the young street artist that, you know, gets to be in the gallery. Like, these are kind of outdated on old-fashioned tropes, but they're the tropes we know, they're the types of artists we know. Mm-hmm. There's the art critic that walks in and 
seemingly to the viewer makes very arbitrary assumptions about the art. Yep. And that's, that's the thing is that in, in these fictional contexts, it is kind of, it is kind of arbitrary what they think it it is what they think that serves the plot you know because there's you know to to take it out of visual art for a moment i mean think about like whenever you see a musician or a band in a fictional setting and you know it usually has to be coded in some way who is the good musician who is the bad musician you know right yeah like who is the underdog supposed to be because there's it's almost always hard to tell who is supposed to be the better musician or the better songwriter Mm -hmm. in this fictional context because you know they can write a song that honestly you know would sound terrible but in in the context of the show it's super meaningful and it's you know the 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 thing that you know finally gets that record executive to listen to them yeah you know and that's it 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 follows our idea of how like a lot of classic rock musicians got discovered that it took that one critic to see their genius you know we love talking about all the times that the beatles got rejected you know um before you know finally you know finding uh record companies that would take their you know take their chance on them but you know looking back now on a lot of these guys there is a lot of luck there's a lot of random circumstance that led to this band getting popular and not this band Uh uh-huh but also some of it is also just kind of arbitrary like they were (laughs) incredibly hard-working working musicians that knew what they were doing enough to to get there right yeah it it, it's a bit of a different story than maybe the very romantic idea of one last chance you know yeah it's yeah i always kind of found that that trope interesting in how that was being represented i mean like Mm -hmm. i feel like it's also very hit or miss you know, like if we're keeping yeah, in the in, yeah. in the Nickelodeon universe, like let's look at somebody like Drake Bell's character from Drake and Josh. Oh yeah, right? like he is stereotypical guy with guitar, and yeah. it's but his his character is also supposed to be like in the context of the show, he's good. Yeah, but his mu- his music sounds like you know just whatever rock like yeah like know? like stereotypical late uh, early two thousands rock, but like somehow not as good but then he does the iCarly <laughs> jam and it's it's a bop but like or is it i don't even know but it's it's weird he to did, me like wait he does he does the drake and josh intro does he also do iCarly yeah okay but he's not well like he's got a weird it's very funny how they like slipped him in there because he's like a sticker in sam's locker i i, I don't know why i've been mm. watching this show zan i don't know <laughs> why but i we're here and now i notice all of these things and it's like i'm putting myself through torture for some reason I, I mean, like, I feel like, like, okay, all right. What's, like, if you had to pick a band, like a fictional band, what's your, like, go-to that you would want to be real? Uh, <laughs> I know, God. loaded question. I mean, 
Squidward's band from the Bubble Bowl episode. Oh, good pick. Good pick. <laughs> okay, you no, okay, you you want to know actually interesting you ask that cuz I think about this, you know, maybe like it, I I think about uh-huh. it maybe once a month. Okay. Are you familiar with the show uh, Metalocalypse? Yes. Yes, and there's the heavy metal like death metal band uh Death Clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know that that's an interesting thing because it's a parody of a certain type of music and certain type of culture but i think like the best parodies of <laughs> genres it comes from a place of love yeah and affinity and you know and the, the creator you know like actually plays the music and right you know there, there's actual virtuosity that goes into that show but there is a band and a song in it um that at one point sounds so good Hmm. that I am always like, I wish there was more of this song. Ah. And have you ever, have you ever seen the Dr. Roxo episode? I don't know. I don't think so. There's this episode where, cause um, the, the lead singer character, whatever his name is, he hates um, the rock and roll clown guy. <gasps> oh, wait, is that but the one then- you and David showed me? Where they like yeah. they have the show and they launch the like yeah yeah <laughs> oh. Dory McLean oh, okay no. so the thing that I think about with Dory McLean the song that he starts playing it is so damn catchy and it yeah. gets stuck in my head but there's first of all there's two problems one there's only one verse and one chorus I don't know what the rest of the right. song possibly sounds like. Problem number two, it is fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It is a song about a 14-year-old. <laughs> Dory uh, McLean, she's only 14. Uh, you know, it right. is disgusting. And, you know, it's one of those... It's part of why I don't like Kiss. It's just gross. Yeah. Just, the song and the guitars sound so good in it. Right. That you're like... This song is so much better than it deserves to be. Yeah. You know? I feel you. It's like, it almost sounds like it could be like a proper Van Halen song. Mm. And I mean, to go back to the the SpongeBob like bubble bowl thing, like I always was kind of disappointed that like, that wasn't like one of those episodes where like they got Sammy Hagar to like, Mm. You know, because like yeah. I think David Glenn Isley, the uh, artist that does uh, Sweet Victory for them, I don't think he ever did much else. I think he is a working musician, but never really, you know, got much. I don't, I don't think. I at least the last time I checked, you know, you can't like stream his music or anything. Gotcha. Unless okay. he's involved in another project, but. It's like one of those things where you almost wanted to think like, whoa, they got like a real like hair metal yeah. rocker or something to right. do to do that. Like those are the mm-hmm. the kind of those are the kind of fake bands that I guess come to mind for me. There's also gotcha. there's also spinal tap. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if that's necessarily like my type of music, I but I do find spinal mm. tap hilarious. Fair what? enough. I mean, for you, what are like fictional bands that like uh-huh. that you think like are are legitimately good? Like as opposed to like, I don't know, like even in even ones where they use real songs, like 
the the movie not the show the movie rock of ages okay no one's particularly good in that no no (laughs) but you're supposed to pretend (laughs) yeah you're supposed to pretend that you know they are the greatest rock stars you have ever seen and right doing songs that you already know and just not doing anything fun with them right yeah yeah i okay if i had to pick a band from a fictional movie or like work that is actually really good sex bobong from scott pilgrim hands down (laughs) so good so 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 good but also Uh, like i mean that also knows what it's parodying right like yeah like brian lee o'malley like knew what he was doing i also find it interesting that it's it's a comic book series first like a graphic novels so yeah, it's a it's a I I I'm I'm watching this new anime called Those Snow White Notes, and it's about like a Shamsen player. And oh, my sister and I are getting talking about this, and we're like, "How do you make a manga about music? Like, how does that work? Mm. How does that translate when half the show is about playing music and you're hearing music? Like, how's that one working out?" But anyway, I mean, so it's the same thing with Scott Pilgrim. Of, you know, it is very difficult. I will say that, but like when you have to read something and you have to imagine the music. Yeah, there is one book I can recommend that I think actually does a pretty good job of that. But because it's located in a very specific time and place, there's this and I think it's also it might be a memoir. um, But there's this um, book called Songs Only You Know, and it's about like basically a grunge rocker, I think, in the late 90s early 2000s detroit Hmm. might be early 2000s yeah okay and just you know the way it describes punk music is so beautiful that like i don't i i think it would be loud and distracting if this were to be a movie but almost i i think in the in the world of the book the literary illustrations of what's going on is probably easier to factor into the story than if you were to just hear it because also you know punk and i think the type of punk music that was being described in that book is not going to be immediately recognized for yeah for for what it is because punk music is deliberately abrasive and loud when you you know see it or hear it right right you know that's like you know, th- there's there's a movie that they made about uh, CBGBs. Okay. Y- do you know what uh, what CBGB was? No. It was a famous bar in um, f- sorry, famous music club and bar in New York that like a lot of punk and post punk. Uh, artists played at oh okay and you know it was just kind of famous for that because like oh these all of these famous artists famous punk artists played there and then all of these other um pop musicians that would be famous later uh played there in their very very early iterations you know like um, gotcha i think the the talking heads and uh blondie Oh, wow. uh, The Ramones, like uh, more more of like the late 70s, uh, early 80s stuff. But the movie does a 
the movie is trying to do two things you know it's trying to tell the story of these up-and-coming artists but it also has the problem of they're basically you know singing these like basically karaoke of songs like there's this hilarious like not it's not intended to be hilarious but there's this scene at the end where it's like hi well you know uh, i'm sorry i don't know why i did like a paul mccartney voice (laughs) but there's like this you know these these like british guys that get on stage and they're like yeah we're going to play you some songs uh maybe you'll think we're good and you know they start and it's a three-piece and of course they start playing the album version of roxanne basically what which doesn't even make sense (laughs) yeah because because there's it, it why would you get on stage and it even sound like that? Because there's also more than three instruments playing on right. the recording. <laughs> right. They were just like, and hit play now, and there we go. Yeah, but basically you're watching that, and they're like, there's something there. And it's like, yeah, it's a finished song. <laughs> you're listening to a finished song. I would love, you know? I would have loved to have, like, the perfect version of that, right? This, like, one they're using, and then it cuts away to, like, the, what they would actually sound like, which would probably be very rough. Uh, yeah, I mean, context. but it's like, it's, you know, what this all comes down to is I think a lot of these a lot of these shows and stuff, I think they're kind of afraid of what art sounds and looks like as you're trying to work it out. And movies and TV shows that get music and art right are ones that show, you know, the, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, the process. And maybe it has to be expedited, of course, for the, you know, just for the medium. Yeah, I agree. But, mm -hmm. yeah, but but you, you do see it. You see, like, you get to see things, you know, follow some kind of progression that we that we can recognize as people get better at things. Yeah. You know, that's like you almost want to see someone get taken down a peg that they're not that their ability has not reached their ambition yet. Like that's almost right. more interesting of of stories because we're so used to these the the thing of like the imme- they're immediately brilliant and good that's mm. the thing that we're always used to seeing like the people that are good are prod they're always prodigies and there's always someone that's like whoa you know yeah. right off right off the bat you know and God. even if they even if they're misunderstood they're immediately good to our ears as the audience oh man you know that reminds me of you ever see the film heartbeats loud Mm, it was like with nick offerman and i i it came out rather recently like maybe like two three Mm -hmm. years ago it's that it's this exact trope of like but no it's really good i really like it it's really good it's like good dad daughter (laughs) vibes and they like play in a band and it's it's basically what i imagine i would be like when i'm older (laughs) and had kids (laughs) and was like we're gonna play music now um but they actually you know but like and um it just has me thinking because it's like I think you might have torn down one of the walls I had of like, you know, it, it's a very good film and it's very lighthearted. And it's somebody who like, you know, the main character uh, want, you know, likes playing music, but more as a hobby with her dad and not necessarily to be like famous as a job. But like, you know, the dad's very yeah. much like, no, you're a prodigy. You're amazing. Cause she is. 
and it's like they yeah. have something going on, but it's this kind of which actually it's kind of interesting because it's reckoning with that, and it doesn't necessarily take the path that you think it would of this trope yeah. of like we have to you know this person's good and this is the talent i'm gonna give you the deal but then you know what do they do with it and mm-hmm. the thing like which i think is very much what we see yeah but like you you do get to see like like the things that i will appreciate are because like okay basically every musician biopic or or e- even if it's fictional always seems to follow like that dewey cox uh, <laughs> formula yeah you know like even bohemian rhapsody and i'm bohemian rhapsody is maybe the worst offender i've ever seen of yeah the trope the trope salad of a musician yeah um especially such a unique musician mm-hmm. but like you know it's not like um like with it's so interesting right because we're so used to the montage of someone shows promise but they need a mentor to really whip them into shape right the karate we don't kid, ever get to see that with musician biopics they're always just immediately good yeah like and someone's just like try harder and then they try harder you know like <laughs> like i yeah. it's like um you know cuz whiplash the 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 things that you you get the impression he has been working his ass off his entire life to be the drummer so it makes right. sense in the context of the movie and the things that uh uh his teacher are is picking apart it, they're so minute yeah you know it makes sense and then you know when he flubs on stage we the audience are able to recognize that he is flubbing right you know it's a different kind of movie when they're you know actually willing to show people get better right you know? right i agree at, at at any kind of art you know that you know they have some kind of naivete that um that gets challenged by being yeah. thrust into the art world that actual bit of uncomfort and fear that you're going to have going from your friends and family who will be encouraging and the world that is mm. indifferent you know right exactly but i think yeah. i think at the end though that's kind of what i i don't know i guess i wish to call out or even like question and hope maybe there'll be more things like that where it does kind of invite that presence versus this more trope filled one of either quite the opposite whether you know in the music side you make it and it's like you're gonna you get that one shot it makes the big difference or like as an artist it's like you were yeah you were just born with talent and you have this raw thing and then the mentor will sculpt you into something you know like i just feel like it's like (laughs) you know you know that's a little art joke there but um i feel i feel like it's it's also just like interesting because of the medium of film we're using, right? Like I think I also have yeah. to kind of film being an art an art form in and of itself. I find that a bit ironic when you have or meta when you have like mm-hmm. uh you know a medium that is an artistic medium being used to portray other artistic mediums in an other kind of way. You know, I mean, this is getting way too yeah. me introspective looking at this, but at the same time. What you know, if 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 film, if movies, TV affect our personalities and can also affect how we look at the world, what happens when you introduce something that shows maybe a bit more of a realistic or naturalistic setting for these things, and how can that then foster how art and 
you know, these type of careers are are looked at? And could that actually enforce and reinforce better ways of thinking and pursuing creative careers versus Mm -hmm. these more glorified make it or break it ones that I think our society is kind of filled with. I think at the end, that's really what this exhibit is trying to kind of do. And what we're, what I'm really curious with in particular is that is how can you break the trope standards to then promote something? I don't know else, a different way of looking Mm. at this. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, like the one more artist, I fictional artist, I kind of wanted to talk about, especially since we were talking about Nickelodeon earlier. Uh-huh. You know, who is the ultimate fictional unfulfilled artist? I would say it is Mr. Squidward Tentacles. Oh, you would be correct in that. Yeah, but Squidward is different because Squidward objectively kind of works well in all mediums like that's kind of an established thing that squidward dabbles in so many different things that like why but nobody in town (laughs) likes his work you know yeah famously like you know squidward is a little delusional as to maybe himself as a genius artist but it's so weird because we never really meet other I don't know. I haven't watched new SpongeBob, but in the classic yeah. SpongeBob that I'm arbitrarily considering canon in my head, right? Squidward is—I hesitate to say misunderstood. He is—he—he's definitely like he has an opinion of himself. Yeah, and other 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 residents of Bikini Bottom, I think, look at him as just kind of a a desperate uh you know schmoozer yeah rather than you know an artist but at the end of the day squidward's all squidward's also the smart one you know squidward you know is the one that points out the ways that mr krabs exploits him and spongebob so him i could actually believe went to art school oh yeah yeah (laughs) i I agree and it's just a bit more arrogant and a little maybe egotistical but still i think has that backing behind or the kind of reason for it too like i don't know i think that's a character that kind of embodies this nice blend because he's very much like it doesn't feel like estranged or even like too tropey it feels just right for what they're going for it's a good fit yeah you know what i mean i mean do you do you ever think about things that happen to you in art school and you think for a second maybe we do deserve all of the stereotypes about us (laughs) yeah too many i i agree i i mean i think there are those moments that you're like maybe this is fair you know, maybe yeah. these stereotypes are just or like or like someone else is amazed you can do basic math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I may- always found that. Or a- maybe a friend uh sends you and a bunch of other people uh, a snapshot of a cum shot on her and it's like art. <gasps> oh my god. Did that just happen to me? Uh <laughs> I mean, I haven't had that happen to me, but It was the talk of the school the next day. I don't even... How does that even happen? (laughs) Jesus Christ. I always forget about that story you told me. How do you, after sex, you go immediately on Snapchat? Although... I I have no people that do that. Because... But clearly it was before even cleanup. Like, I understand, like, going on your phone, like, chilling afterwards, but, like, 
Not you. All right. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> the first sanitar, but you know, like, uh, whatever, man. Yeah, y you know, they they were living, living, being being them, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's all okay. You're allowed to be all of these different things. Yeah, that's a mm -hmm. solid message. Yeah. Wow. Well, speaking <laughs> of uh, art exhibits, uh, what what do you have uh, to promote? Uh, well, you know, I have my, my work still up, The Midnight Drive. It's available on RadioPosite.org. Check it out. I think, um, I think part of my work from this group exhibition that I'm in will be online in the Saatchi blog of the graduate school that I went to. There's a video work of mine that'll be up there probably till May before I take it down. So if you're on the internet, feel free to search up Saatchi Studio Arts College International. Go to the blog and check out my name. Yes, yes, yes. How about you, Zan? I think you've got an art exhibition going up, right? Or uh, um, yeah, yeah, in July, I will have a piece going up in the Arte Natura show, group show at mm -hmm. uh, the Limner Gallery in Hudson, New York. I, uh, my band Mothman will be playing uh, on the 23rd of April, coming right up uh, at the Florida State Fair. Um, my work is up at the uh, Decisional Gallery in Ruskin, Florida, um yeah and i think that's most of what's going on right now um if you want to get in contact with us or visit the museum after hours you can find us on twitter at uncanny museum or on instagram at uncanny county museum we love mm -hmm. uh hearing from you guys and uh you know if any suggestions any corrections uh we'll be happy to take a look at that um yes and like always thank you so much for stopping by we really appreciate your patronage and yeah yeah uh you can find me on instagram at xanosaurus and you can find me on instagram as at josemino art and from the uncanny county museum i've been zan peters and i've been josemino beat it bye, bye.